Attention Dad Bod Rap Pod listeners, we want to tell you about another podcast that we think you really enjoy. It's called Dope Shit. Uh, the Dope Shit Podcast is a discussion with Uncommon NASA and Samurai Banana, two staunch uh, hip-hop listeners and participants from the New York area. Really glad to link up with them. Um, they have dope discussions followed by really good music. Um, they're like-minded cats, and, uh, you know, let's link up with them. Yeah, so you can find the Dope Shit Podcast wherever the dope podcasts are at. Um, so we encourage you to subscribe and rate the podcast. And and we think you'll like it. If you like us, you'll like it. Actually, when I listened to it, I was like, wow, this is really similar to what we do. But they also have that kind of segment where they play all the new music. Mm. So it's it's a great repository to figure out what's going on. And um, these cats were kind of like really involved in the New York scene. So it's a different look. But I think if you like us, you'll like them. Give it a try. Dope shit. Dead bod rap pod. It's another week. We're here. Um, the rap world is just in turmoil this week, but uh, we persevere. We got a, a dope show for you guys. Hello. Hi. My name is Damone Carter, a.k.a. Dem1. Um, I am joined by the great Nathaniel LeBlanc, how's it going? Good. Thanks for having us here at the undisclosed location on the east side. <laughs> Absolutely. This is Dick Cheney's bunker when he's uh, <laughs> when he's out this way. Good good to have you. And we're also joined by, I think you're like Dave number eight in my phone. <laughs> uh, Mr. Dave Ma, the Daves I know. How's hey, it going? Uh, doing well. Uh, I'll, I'll take eighth place. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it, it, it's not in order of importance. <laughs> It's ma. I think it's alphabetical. Um, so so yeah. It's it's been it's been quite a last seven ten days in in the world of hip hop. Lots going on. Uh, lots going on. We maybe just starting on a lighter note. Um, you know, and I'm not sure if I'll get crucified for bringing gossip into the space, but I thought it was such a great bit of comic relief. Cardi B throwing her shoe. At Nicki Minaj, I, <laughs> best uh, I, I, shoe throwing since that guy in Iraq with in George Iraq. Bush. Right, That's, yeah, right. I was gonna bring that up, which I guess in certain uh, Arabic cultures is like the ultimate insult. Yeah, like you would throw out yeah, a rat totally. or something. Oh, absolutely. Um, so you know, I, I just think in terms of rap confrontations, I think we've got to rank it up there. I think, <laughs> I think in terms of all time, um, of course TMZ had a field day with it and stuff, but it is just great. I mean, I don't know if it's staged. It could totally be staged. Yeah, but I mean, we're talking about it as a result. Right? Abs- absolutely. But at the same time, so on brand, this is Cardi B just raps all day about running up to women <laughs> and checking them <laughs> right. in the club. And um, so, you know, I, I felt that that was like a great uh, kind of like comic relief. It was certainly funny. I thought it was a little it was a little bit of a bummer though. It's like why do the top two female rappers gotta like have these um you know ridiculous headlines and that's throw, where I am too. And stuff, I don't I don't know? get I think it's they may or may not like each other, but the media created narrative that there can only be one female rapper right. at a at time, a time. Right. is upsetting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which is ridiculous. And th- this is like it, like coming home to roost, right? Pa- patriarchy, right, right. One hundred one. Yeah, and, and, and you know, it's like Cardi's success goes out the window because there's a picture of her with a you know a thing on her head. You know, it's like I, ridiculous. Yeah, her yeah, album's still better or something. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, it's 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 
unfortunate, but also kind of part of the cycle, right? Like, and so I think guess Nicki Minaj has a radio show. Yeah, or is, something. is it a podcast? I actually don't yeah. get what that is. It's Queen yeah, Radio. It's called Queen Radio. Yeah. We'll go toe to toe with Queen Radio. <laughs> I'm I'm here to say if we could get her to diss us, that would be really top, good for uh, our careers. Which is how these beefs get started, right? <laughs> Pretty much. What's the podcast that we have to go after? We'll talk about that later. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I mean, it is sad in that sense that yeah, it's r- super dumb that w- there's this dichotomy. But at the same time, you know, if you go back through Nikki's, uh, you know, through her catalog, that's a big trope for her. Is she is the number one chick out here, right, and everybody right. else is her son. Right. So I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, is yes, it media created or is it her created? It, is that where you're going? Yeah, it's kind of yeah. like you know, to what degree do you kind of internalize this? There can only be one, and I admit, and it's so wild because the parallels to how she came in the game and Little Kim. And her having this kind of weird ongoing beef, which I always thought was weird because little Kim was a little out to pasture by totally. that time. It's totally. Like, um, totally. Also beefing with my grandma. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's like, doesn't yeah. make any sense. It, it just doesn't make any sense. I think. But, you know, with that being said, we've had some uh, very interesting female guests um, in, in recent in recent weeks and months. And uh, I think it's I, I do think there's more voices coming into the into the field now than than maybe ever before and so hopefully um, there's more access for everyone right there's more different kinds of rap music and more available music in general than ever so 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 hopefully people can get a little piece of the pie and 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 we can stop throwing shoes (laughs) (laughs) and celebrate look drake and meek hugged it out Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was after a, good, a while, right? That, that was what, a good moment. I mean, I could care less, but it was kind of a good moment, especially juxtaposed with the shoe throwing and everything. Yes, it all, exactly. it all happened to be happening right at the same yeah, time, right? Yeah, millionaires are throwing shoes. Millionaires are hugging. <laughs> you know, it was like the one time that that men didn't look like pieces of shit in like the last oh, <laughs> three man. years. It might be the high water mark for our whole gender <laughs> in the past Shout three years. Moonves. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> least Moonves. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, so that was kind of like some of the weird, uh, TMZ side stories that, um, that, you know, we don't care about too deeply, but make great fodder for an intro. Um, and then obviously, um, you know, the hip hop world is kind of reeling this week with the, with the passing of, of Mac Miller. So, so Sutton dude was 26 years old, way too soon. Um, and, you know, we have to be honest and say that amongst the group here we we weren't huge mac miller fans um you know not that i never i never doubted his objective ability to rap it's not one of those things but i just never really connected with the piece of his work and um it was great because paul thompson who is a uh you know nationally recognized uh, hip-hop writer he's a brilliant writer wrote a great piece for rolling stone for anyone who might be like myself going you know where do i start with mac miller why did he matter um, he wrote a great piece and he was uh, cool enough to come on and talk to us um, about the piece and, and kind of giving us you know, a little bit of a primer on, uh, on, on Mac Miller's career. And I just, it's, it's sad because this weekend I kind of like dove into his stuff and he has some really legitimately cool right, stuff. Right. And it, I'm just like, ah, that sucks though, because had he not passed and that crystallization of his catalog, it, totally. I, I wouldn't have been, um, as motivated to sure. go check it out. So I, I liked that song Dang with yeah, Anderson with Pack, Anderson Pack. Uh, from yeah. his last thing. Yeah. Or yeah. maybe it was a precursor to this new album where he sings more. 
Um, but I, that I was could really say nice. with not a lot of competition, that's my favorite Mag Miller song. That was like <laughs> I've been playing I thought it, of. and it has it's this. A good song. It has this now in light of his passing has this really. Um, the lyrics are really haunting because yeah. it's yeah. like, oh wait, we was just hanging. Like I keep on losing you. Ah, yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. It was. It's, what it's what, a good what song. I thought of was when uh, I don't know if you guys remember, but he first came into the national consciousness when he was sued by Lord Finesse. Yes, that's right. I so that. I was right. like, okay, so that's when I first heard of this kid. Right. And again, I mean, he and never. It, he if never there's going to be me, someone versus Lord Finesse, I'm taking Lord Finesse's side totally, every time. Totally. <laughs> which which most and it's it's cool because Paul Thompson's uh, article kind of touches on that and and how and how Mac handled that and um so really really cool interview um also we we got to delve a little bit into um uh, paul's review of of the new arm and hammer record um and a couple other things so without further ado check out our interview with hip-hop journalist paul thompson Hey, what's up, Paul? This is Dave. Hey, what's up, man? Hey, man. How are you doing today? Good, good. Can you hear me okay? We can, we can. So, um, again, this is Dave. I'm here with um, Damone and Nate. How are you guys doing? Good, man. Living Great it. to talk to you. Yo, man. So, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're fans of the work. Um, we want to touch a little bit about, a um, little bit on Mac Miller. Uh, we all read that awesome article of yours recently, and uh, we just want you to, to get your thoughts, uh, break it down a little bit. And uh, it was really, we thought it was really thoughtful, one of the better written pieces uh, regarding Mac's um, importance. And, uh, yeah, just break it down for us a little bit. Sure. Um... Should I just start from sort of uh, when I first uh, became aware of Matt? Sure, totally. Yeah. You yeah. know, just you as a writer, how you absorbed him and his career? Well, so Mac Miller came out when I was actually still in high school. I was just finishing high school. Okay. And um, I'm born, you know, the same year as him. And uh, it was pretty easy to dismiss if you were, you know, pretty deep into rap or anything. Mm -hmm. Um he immediately found an audience. I was in Minneapolis, so uh, there wasn't even any regional bias, really. People just loved him. Right. Um, in hindsight, it's easy to see that he was more skilled than the people he was grouped with. And that's something I touched on in the Rolling mm. Stone article, that if you compare Mac Miller, even in his earliest stages, to Sammy Adams, to those other guys, um, it's not close. He, he had more personality. He had more skill. But it was easy to lump him in there. And um, to be honest with you, after he put out Blue Slide Park in, uh, in 2011, I didn't expect I'd ever listen to him again. <laughs> um, like the album was, I'm sure there was sort of some animus that had built up against him that wasn't entirely his fault. I'm sure some of it was an extension of how people felt about the Asher Roths and the, uh, right. the Sammy Adamses of the world. But that album is bad. <laughs> like, I went back to it in the wake of this, and, like, I love Mac, and I'm, I'm really broken up about his passing, but, you know, we would all tell him that was not the move. Um, and I thought that was probably it. 
it seemed like it was going to be a profitable lane for him to keep doing that, but that it wasn't going to produce a lot of very good music or even listenable music. Mm. Um, and I think the interesting thing about how his career went at first with that misstep on Blue Slide Park, uh, and this is something I tried to get at in the piece as well, is it wasn't just like he wasn't getting better. It was like he took a step back. Mm. I think that was his first brush with, oh, there's money out there to be made. Everyone's in my ear telling me, go get this. You can be bigger. You can be bigger. You can be bigger. And sort of chasing down that, um, you know, that goal that people set out in front of you and assume that you want to be as big as you can possibly be. And I think that uh, his career in a lot of ways was a response to, and more specifically a rejection of that notion that we all can and should want to be simply bigger for being bigger's sake. Mm -hmm. Um, Because he rejected that. He moved to LA and he found what he liked, you know, not always the most popular or the most buzzing collaborators, but people he was most musically in sync with and was the most musically interested in. And he started making music that was a lot more interesting. I mean, I think that in hindsight, uh, he started that new direction with Macadelic in 2012, but I'll be honest, like, I didn't listen to Macadelic when it came out. Right, you had two guys already. Yeah, I'd completely written him off. Uh, uh, watching movies with the sound off brought me back around um, and made me pay attention to what he did from there going forward. But uh, that came out of left field to me because I stopped paying attention. I was like, this, I don't know why this guy would merit me seeking out his, his <laughs> stopgap projects if the major one was so bad. But he uh, he really went for it. He dove right in, and he put himself at, at a commercial disadvantage for sure. And I would argue he put himself at like a critical and creative disadvantage at first by aligning himself with people who were all better and more accomplished than he was mm-hmm. for the time being. Like he, he was rapping with Kendrick, he was rapping with Action Bronson, with Earl, he was getting Flying Lotus beats when everyone in LA wanted Flying Lotus beats in 2013. And uh, he at first uh, was out of his depth, I think, but he caught up quickly. Mm. For sure, yeah. I was I, I really dug the piece because I'll be honest and just plead ignorance uh, about a lot of his career. One of those guys that were like, uh, he could spit, yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't say he can't rap, but I, I just really had trouble figuring out like what is the what is the definitive project and I just kinda wrote it off to being old and not <laughs> and kinda sure. not understanding. But dude was actually like a real musician too. Like he was he was in LA and he kinda it seemed like he kinda soaked up that that uh that la musical vibe of of the odd futures and and fly low as you as you talked about which was something that you know i have to thank you i didn't understand into your piece yeah and and, um anecdotally every rapper in la at least in most of the different scenes spent some time going through his house through his studio Mm. he um i think you saw some stories after his passing like speak was tweeting like hey i mocked this dude and he invited me over to his studio and like just wanted to pick my brain like he Mm -hmm. he really he had no animus for anybody and which that made him a better artist um he was not i I don't think he was too proud to you know ask for help and try to learn and one of the things that i think the strongest testament to his musical ability and his vision is that um his good projects 
faces and movies and the divine feminine and and this most recent one all sound pretty different from one another Mm. but they don't sound like he's simply picking up whatever's hot like there are common threads that run through them that make them sound like him um like i think the divine feminine was sort of a a stab at being more popular again because Mm. it does have a lot in common with records that were really hot in 2016 but when it didn't really take off like that, like it didn't become a massive hit, that was sort of fine because it had some musical integrity to it and it still holds up under scrutiny beyond like will this stick at radio. Sure. Um, yeah. I, what I, I do you think, think of they, the new one and do you think it's a good like thing for people to listen to if they don't know anything about him? Um, I think that in certain ways the new record is his strongest. Hmm. Um, I, I personally, I really like the sort of, um, you know, distorted, hazy, like 2013 raps, like mm-hmm. bases and movies, mm-hmm. but I think he, I think he was a better songwriter now. He's a better musician now. <laughs> and, uh, people often say that about records that are kind of bullshit, like <laughs> people just start singing more, right, right. but, um, they actually work like he, he was incorporating more melodies in a way that made sense with his rapping Mm -hmm. because one of the things i really like about mac is um i like i'm a white person who works basically in hip-hop and he was obviously a white rapper but i think he was like kind of the model for how white people can and should participate (laughs) you know what i mean well he's very aware of uh that's how he came into my consciousness is a couple years ago he put out something on twitter kind of like hey white people what have you done for black lives and his his yeah. his, his mentions got murdered but he seemed to be oh, one destroyed. of the yeah but he seemed to be one of the the few no, i won't say the few but he seemed to be one of the white rappers in the culture that understood um the wind at his sails from being mm. white and also kind of you know challenging his own i guess his own privilege which is sure. it's kind of rare well because he had you know, we often talk about privilege as like an abstract thing, but the privilege for him is that he could put out Blue Slide Park and go to number one. And I <laughs> right. think that his interest in rejecting that was both he was trying to get better creatively and also he was sort of like, no, I came up trying to be the best rapper around and like right. I've got to try to do that. Mm. Um, and what I also mean about about sort of being the model for how to participate is that, that Mac understood that as invested as you are as a white person and as welcome as you feel, you are ultimately a guest at the end of the day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he put out a really interesting conversation. And I think it's him, it's either him and Earl or him and Vince. I think it was on the fader a few years ago, probably Vince. And they were sort of talking about that. And he was like, well, you know, there's sort of almost a genre of like white rap that Mm -hmm. exists parallel to the rest of rap (laughs) and there's like an audience with a ton of buying power who go to festivals and all this shit and he rejected that both because it wasn't creatively exciting to him and he realized that was not really hip-hop as he grew up familiar with it and so to bring this back to the most recent record swimming um he really is using a lot of musical textures that no one would expect a rapper from Pittsburgh, period, uh, much less a white rapper from Pittsburgh, to have incorporated so deeply into his into his sound. But it made sense with the production he chose and with his natural, sort of his vocal cadences as a rapper. 
And I don't know. I, th- I think it was a very strong effort. And as I wrote in the piece, I think, and this is speculation, obviously, but I think that if he had stayed around uh, and his career had been able to continue, we would ultimately see this as a transitional thing because he still feels like he's working out where he's going to ultimately wind up creatively. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I think most of the record works very well, but it feels exploratory in a way that's really exciting. And I do think it's a good starting place for people because it's accessible, but it also features a lot of the stuff he does well. So, yeah. Cool. Thank you so much. Um, We want to switch gears a little bit and uh, talk about your great Arm & Hammer review on Pitchfork. Um, (laughs) And I'm going to embarrass you a little. Just... um, because I was going to DM you on Twitter about this, but we don't know each other. So now that I have the chance to tell you, um, <laughs> I, I lived in Santa Cruz when Cal- when Cannibal Ox came out. So your, your your decision to include that little anecdote about the robbery and Vortal, um not only like just had me Googling and looking around and listening to Cannibal Ox again, which is always welcome, but I just thought it was a really interesting choice that you made. And I just kind of wanted to thank you for it. And uh, kind of, um, can you talk about that record and, what your kind of thoughts are on it in the piece that, as, as it emerged? Sure. Um, well, first of all, if people haven't listened to Arm & Hammer, they absolutely should stop the podcast. I think Woods and Elucid on their own are fantastic. Together, they're fantastic. But, yeah. um, so I knew the anecdote about um, the apartment Woods was staying in being robbed and then that robbery being on the Cannibal Ox LP. Yeah. Uh, because I'd done the interview where he talked about that initially back gotcha. in like 2013 or 2014. And um, it always stuck with me. And <laughs> to be honest with you, um, my decision to start the pitchfork review that way was done as sort of just like a heat check for myself. <laughs> I, I, I've, been, I've written a ton of pitchfork reviews and um, I have sort of resisted the desire i think they've had at various points to have me sort of give the roman gladiator thumbs up thumbs down on bigger rap records i see and i sort of like to write about big ones if i have something interesting to say about them but more often than not advocate for smaller stuff that otherwise wouldn't be covered sure Mm -hmm. and with um with arm and hammer I think those reviews, and this is not necessarily Pitchfork's fault, but the coverage of those records is often very short and very reductive. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to write something that was sort of like they run those Sunday reviews now that are big and sort of narrative-based. Sure. And I was like, man, not many people outside of New York and outside of certain circles on the internet listen to Arm & Hammer. Right. So I want to sort of inject into this the sense that these guys are really important and really deserve your attention. And um, one of the ways people try to uh, convince readers of that is by saying that art is necessary and that it really fits in the zeitgeist right now. Sure. And um, there's a really smart critic named Lauren Euler who wrote a great piece sort of demystifying that, the New York Times Magazine. And it was sort of like, this is kind of bullshit, guys. Like, we can't say art is necessary to our current politics as the only way of giving it worth because that's not always true and it implies that older things are not worthy and that's why i wanted to go back to like 96 and be like hey here's a small time burglary and this is why you should still pay attention to it and i think that's the kind of detail that woods and elusive try to put in their songs they write 
very lucidly about very small events. Yeah, um, that's awesome, man. Thank you. And uh, between this and Nostrum Grocers, Elusive is having a hell of a summer. Yeah, and you put out like two great LPs in the last like eight months too. He's I don't know how he's this productive. <laughs> that's awesome. Hey, hey, Paul. Um, as we sort of um, uh, shift gears and um, uh, wrap up the interview here, I, I got a two qu- uh, quick two-parter. Um, one, uh, wh- what are some tracks besides the Arm & Hammer um, uh, release that some cats should check out? And two, um, if you can talk about it, any uh, writing projects you got on the horizon that you're excited about? Sure. Um, so I think a lot of interesting stuff has come out just this summer. Mm-hmm. Um in L.A. specifically, uh, the YG album did not get a ton of attention outside of L.A. because, frankly, it's not as good as the first two. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is the song on it, Too Cocky, which I've been really into, for, uh, specifically because it's like a very strong callback to his days in like the Jerkin movement. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting to hear an update of that sound. Uh, and the other song I've been playing nonstop this summer is Fall Off from the O3 Greedo album. Mm. Um, and obviously being incarcerated, it's a very sad story. But if people haven't heard God Level, they should definitely check that out. Um, in terms of the longer writing projects, uh, I am... <laughs> I don't want to talk about... Oh, I've got a bunch of things on the burner I can't mention. <laughs> but I do have um, a novel that... I'm actually, uh, uh, just before you guys called, I'm putting the very, very finishing touches on. Nice. Like, Congratulations. Copy editing and stuff. Well, I mean, thank you. We'll see how it goes. But, <laughs> so I'm uh, I'm heading out to uh, New York soon to, you know, hopefully try to sell it. Okay. Uh, nice. And that's, that's the big macro thing. And then, I don't know, I, I, I'm sort of running parallel paths here because I really want to do stuff that's interesting and engaging as pieces of writing, mm-hmm. but I also want to cover rap pretty vigorously. And it's tough because uh, it's tough to write long things that take a lot of time to put together and also stay current on everything. But um, I would basically say that I'm working with a certain website right now to try to come up with a model that allows us to do that. Right that allows on. us to cover uh, a wide array of new releases in a way that doesn't feel too tied to the news cycle. Mm. And that sort of encourages people to look backwards and forwards to listen to the Travis Scott album, but then be like, wait, was the second Goody Mob album? <laughs> um, and that's sort, of, uh, that's sort of what I'm trying to do right now. All right, perfect, Paul. Well, yo, um, continued success. Um, thank you for your time, and uh, we'll, we'll be uh, checking out your stuff. And good luck with the novel, man. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. All right, man. Talk soon. Peace. Dad bod rap pod. That was our interview with Paul Thompson, who was gracious enough to check in with us. Seemed like such a nice guy. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. Almost absolutely. everyone seems like such a nice guy. Totally. All- Except for when they're jackasses. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, we were glad to have him on and, and to help us kind of contextualize the, the, the whole Mac Miller thing. And, and also 
please check out I'm I'm new to Arm and Hammer. I'm not gonna front. Um Nate Nate put me onto it and and partner dude has a, a line on there that says I eat too much pussy to be Rasta. And I'm like, <laughs> where has this been? Why I need the, why? How do I not know about this? Something should be on your business card. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that that really sat with me. I've been holding on to that all weekend. So yeah, elusive is having the best summer. Uh, possible. What what was his other thing? The, um, thing, the oh, elucid. Oh, elucid. Oh, oh, I did yeah. say it I wrong. Though. No, no, you were yeah. right. Yeah. Um, so, do you he, even Arm and Hammer, bro? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually. I don't know if you guys know this, and this is a bit of a tangent, but the actor Army Hammer, who's like yeah. the incredibly handsome, yeah, uh, you know, Heart statuesque throb. actor, is the heir to the Arm and Hammer baking soda. Shut no the fuck way. up. Thing. I thought so that was he just grew a name. up in the. Cayman Islands on like the family compound, and now he's a Hollywood actor, and his name is Armin Hammer. Shut so up. So I don't know if this record is about him, <laughs> and I don't know how much pussy he eats, but um, probably a lot. I would say a fair amount. Yeah, yeah. except um, for in Call Me By Your Name. Amazing wow. film, but wow. about something else. Okay. Anyway, okay. long story long, that's my phrase of the day. <laughs> um, uh, Elucid, who's half of Armin Hammer with Billy Woods. Also is uh, has a collaborative album with Milo, oh, right, uh, right, right, called Nostrum. Oh, Brochures, that's which, which I've been begging you all to listen. I know, to, and you refuse. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I did, I did, I did. Um, I didn't. You're right. I <laughs> I uh, I finally caught up with it. Um, actually, on my way back from the Apple Store last Thursday, I was I was checking it out. Just like and, uh, your watch up to your ear, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> I was like Siri, play that shit Nate's talking about. Siri, play uh, that boring art rap <laughs> Nate bugs me about. You know what I? You know what I dig about the the Nostrum joint is that um, it's definitely a little bit more undergroundy than I I typically fuck with at this point, but. It's also angry black people, and so I really, I'm like, oh, okay, I fuck with y'all. That's this is this is appropriately it is. angry. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. I yeah. I get a little bit of a posdenucious. Yeah, absolutely. Where absolutely. they they <laughs> always pick the most interesting way to say something. Yep. Yeah, it's yeah. not it, you don't Unconventional. say the girl's pregnant. You say yeah. like the swell of your belly. Right. Yeah, exactly. Blah blah blah. blah, blah. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's like. It, Poetic. And it's literary. Fast. It's literary. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And like, I need a little bit of that in my life sometimes. Absolutely. No, I so, hear you. so I, I would. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I go to Nate for all my black hipster rap um, <laughs> references. So definitely check out Nostrum Grocers um, and Armin Hammer. Uh, Paul's super cool guy. Um, yeah. Shouts to Paul. Thank you again. Um, great. Just great writing. Another person Nate put me on to um, and his his writing is amazing. And we're kind of we're kind of on a writer vibe. I think we should call this episode ambitions of a writer. OK, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, I, one, right? I just want to flag that. Yes. Um, so Rough writers. <laughs> um, which rough writer? <laughs> No, D- you know, DMX or the condoms? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that one uh, Asian dude. Oh, you know what I'm talking about? Ouch, Jin, yes. Jin or something. Jin wasn't he a rough uh, writer? I have a. He was an honorary rough writer. Oh, yeah. Man. Okay, so I go for in my work. I go to a lot of these like events, like mixers and happy hours with like civically engaged people. My apologies. In, uh, <laughs> in in our town, and I'm not gonna name this person because Damone will probably know who it is, and I'm uh, wondering if he will. And she was trying to like kind of like connect with me and she's like oh we had a fundraiser for our thing you really should have been there we had gin 
MC Gin, and my face was no. just you. You guys know I can't control my face. It's whatever I'm thinking is like on there, and Same. I just like it was giving her this like hard stare back, and she's like, "No, huh? That, that doesn't impress <laughs> nothing, you, nothing." And I'm like, "What year was it?" Totally she's like, this year, and I'm like, "No, that doesn't impress no me." Way. Like, no come way. on, dude. That is learn Chinese was like what? early 2000s. Like, oh, ugh, ugh. why yeah. did you pay him anything to do ugh. anything? Like, consult me. I'll get you ugh. a rapper if you need a rapper. Well, but it, like, it, don't fly Jin out to a it's non-profit <laughs> fundraiser in 2018. That's bizarre. It's empty suits who don't know what cool is. I know. You know what I mean? Oh, man. He yeah. won that contest, though. He won that contest. The Rough and Riders. He, he became a Rough Rider. And then you yeah. got to make an, a song about your Asianness right away. And you know, know what I'm saying? It was, it was, it was that was more the wave back then, though, right? It was performative it's like he had Asian. to, like, he was performatively yeah, being yeah. Asian. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's so just shout, a fun shout thing out for to me Jay. to say. Well, it's also pushed up on Asian MCs too. Like Asians in battles. I mean, it's the most racist shit ever. I know. You know. I can I can I, quick a quick aside since we're just doing asides on asides. <laughs> I can't do battling anymore. I can't that because you keep losing. Oh, <laughs> oh. ouch, ouch. Oh, so um, he's a parking lot dog. Um, <laughs> Nate think he got bars on this episode. <laughs> he really. <laughs> he really at home right now. Fuego <laughs> shit coming for me. Mike's um, on fire. I'm a, I'm a well-known key styler. Oh, <laughs> my God. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally, I really had a phase with the, the whole acapella, acapella battle shit. Um, and that shit is just so cringy to me. Like, I was, when, when we were doing the Blimes and, and Gab uh, Lost Tapes episode, uh, <laughs> I went back, because I, I didn't really understand her, um, her battle pedigree. Oh, right, right. And so I go back, and... Everything about her is you lesbian white person, and then she's also like, you know, you're eating tacos, and you, are, and I'm just like, ooh, this I don't know in 2018, yeah. I kind of can't, you know. But she, she kind of, I think smartly, kind of took a turn away from that scene. But oh, so cringy. But uh, yeah, Jen, yeah. but Jen definitely came of age. I think, you know, right before that in this kind of like battle rap thing. So I, I feel I actually feel bad for dude because I feel like um, on the East Coast, especially like the, the thing for him to perform his race was just so tough. Yeah, I remember thinking yeah. that at the time. Like, no, totally. Totally. Like, I mean, ah. it was definitely an uphill battle for him. Yeah. yeah he didn't Philadelphia on an ATV or whatever it was they were doing. Like, <laughs> yeah. Don't make sense in that. Whole, yeah. In that. Yeah. Thing the whole steez was weird. Yeah, yeah. so so I, just, I didn't think he was not good of a rapper. No, totally, yeah. totally. Yeah, yeah. be an amazing rapper, and if your song's about egg rolls and it's sick, yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah, you know, but don't start off with that. Don't lead with the egg don't rolls. Don't lead with the egg, egg roll. Saying. The egg roll freestyle. Protra- you know, try spring roll. A little, <laughs> little lighter, a little lighter. Um, and with that, let's make an awkward segue into our our interview with uh, smooth hip- transition. Yeah, that's what I'm here for. Uh, with Brian Coleman, um, hip hop historian, who um, his his books have are really like kind of like the archive, right? He's like yeah. one of the first people to kind of huge inspiration. Um, yeah, uh, his books set the archetype for sort of these hip hop liner notes that followed. I mean, some of my work is straight up. I bit his platform, you okay. know. I mean, his yeah. framework. Let's do the Brian Coleman style <laughs> deep dive on this. Exactly, gotcha. exactly. Yeah. He's but a I mean, total hero of mine. I love those books. I like when Rakim told me came yeah. out it was like the bible for me i'm just totally. like, okay okay i'm not religious by the way i don't want to offend anyone with that it's not right. like the bible I mean, but it's a very good book that i read a lot <laughs> and it like contains these origin stories for these amazing records totally. you couldn't get anywhere else right and it, and they're written from a perspective of a fan i mean the fandom right. just bleeds right. through it's great right. 
Right. Like he never makes himself the focal point of anything. It's like here I'm presenting this. Yeah, it was it was it was dope to kind of um, kind of hear his perspective as as a dad bod that's even a little bit older than us, and and kind of um, the connections between punk and hip hop and how that was kind of percolating mm-hmm. at, at the time. So um, super cool conversation with Brian. He's got a new book uh, coming out that he'll talk about a little bit in the, in the interview. So here it is, our interview with Brian Colvin. Brian, my dude, how you doing? How you guys doing? Doing well. Again, this is Dave. Uh, I'm here with Damone and Nate, so we're just going to be tossing some questions at you. Sounds good. Hit me. <laughs> hey, Brian. Well, I mean, just before we get started, I mean, I just want to say thank you. Um, I've been reading your stuff for a minute. I read uh, what Rakim told me and checked the technique in, in college, and then uh, I got a shout-out. You gave me a shout-out in the latest um, Check the Technique, so I just always wanted to thank you if I ever got a chance to, to speak to you. Wow. I mean, thank you. It's, it's, uh, you know, it takes a village sometimes of, uh, as you know, trying to track guys down and right. trying to, trying to figure it all out. It's, it's basically putting those books together is like a very crazy, weird hip hop puzzle. Mm-hmm. And you, you just kind of wait for, to see which pieces fall into place. And, uh, so you see when, even if the puzzle's maybe not a hundred percent done, it's like, well, I can kind of, I can see the sailboat pretty much so let's just let's just go with it <laughs> well i know you have um um you know a new project um on the horizon as well but i wanted to touch uh i wanted to go back on the uh liner note um work and you know out of the stories out of the interviews that you uh interviewed um who stands out is it is there is there a particular artist or story for the uh, check the technique that stands out for, to you like the most in in general or the most recent one or uh, uh just in web- general just in general yeah, I mean, I guess it probably won't come as a massive surprise, but I mean, Cool Keith is is uh, <laughs> never boring um, to speak with. But uh, and and I've had a kind of an ongoing um, relationship journalistically with Keith going way back, probably actually more than twenty years at this point. Mm. Um, so so it's cool because like Keith has, in my opinion. Uh, he'll kind of give you whatever you're looking for. If you want him to act crazy and mm-hmm. be the weird, goofy guy, then he'll do it. Mm-hmm. And if you actually want to dive a little bit deeper, he's actually fine with doing that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so so it's usually a combo of both. But, yeah, I mean, so I've done, and in, in, uh, Rakim told me I did a pretty lengthy chapter on Ultramagnetic. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, in Check the Technique 2, I did Dr. Octagon. So I mm. think he's actually the only person I've ever done twice. Mm. And that's kind of interesting because those are two very different um, iterations of of uh, all the facets of, of uh, Mr. Thornton's uh, <laughs> vivid mind. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, Keith is certainly one. Um, it's kind of cool, though. It's like, like uh, I 
17-year-old me would have never, ever thought that um, – because I guess the thing is I never really thought I was going to be a writer. It was never really something I said, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to write books. I'm going to be a journalist. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you told me when I was 17, like, oh, someday you're going to kind of hang out with Schooly D and, like, have his, his phone number and call him up, and <laughs> there's just no way in hell I would have ever believed that was going to happen so um so it's been cool you know because like that's the best thing that can ever happen is is for the artist to appreciate what i'm trying to do with the books um because that's really what it's all about in the end i mean obviously it's for us it's for fans but if the artist thought that the chapter sucked then i'd be like oh crap maybe i shouldn't do this anymore (laughs) when did when did you know that you could put together like when did the seed of of putting together a hip-hop book because when when you dropped your first joint, it's not like there was a, a ton of that out there. Um, what, how, when did that crystallize for you? Well, I mean, I guess so. There, there were two kind of two parts to to how that came together. So Rakim told me I put out in early 2005, like March, I think, and I had no idea whatsoever what I was doing. Um, <laughs> I self-published it, um, and actually, the interesting thing about that book was and and i don't know if i've ever actually said mentioned this story before but it'll be especially uh, applicable for you because (laughs) i called up andre torres of wax poetics and i was like who prints wax poetics like you like what company do you use because your stuff looks really good but i know you guys also don't have a lot of money so (laughs) like how do you guys do that and he was like oh yeah call these people and so that's what I did, and I kind of figured it out as I went along. But, um, you know, Andre was in some way partially responsible. It's his fault on some level. <laughs> um, shout out to Andre. Yeah, but a uh, big shout out to Andre. He's, he's amazing. Um, so, but I guess, so I've always appreciated um, books. Mm-hmm. Uh, magazines, yes, but really appreciated books. So, like mm-hmm. when I first read um, David Toop's Rap Attack, um, when I was first mm-hmm. really diving much deeper into hip hop, it meant a lot to me, and it, and it meant something to me that he had actually put it down into a book versus just done magazine articles or who knows what else he would have done. Um, and that always kind of stuck with me and uh, kind of the importance of putting things down, not exactly in stone, but putting them down in, in something that's a little bit less ephemeral than uh, a magazine or a newspaper, because uh, those go away a little bit quicker um, and can be kind of lost in the, in, the, in the trash heap. So so I always wanted to do that. And then also it was the result of me writing for a bunch of publications and I would just always want to do much longer pieces. And mm. this is in the days before um, blogs and, mm. you know, newsprint and magazine print was a legitimate thing. So I would do this amazing interview with whomever, with, with Chuck D or KRS-One. I'd be like, oh, sweet. Oh, this is going to be so dope. And then the editor would be like, okay, give me 600 words. <laughs> and I would just be like, oh, it was like, it was journalistic blue balls, you know, it was totally. like this whole thing where you just wanted so, you had so much stuff to share and like they weren't letting you share. So, mm. um, so I just said, you know what, like I want to do it the way I've always wanted to do these chapters. 
Um, and, you know, yet uh, I still got to do them in these really great publications like Herb and XXL. But this was my way of, I guess, doing the director's cut, you know, doing the Criterion mm-hmm. edition. Um, and, and like I said, it was kind of a crazy thing. It seemed crazy at the time. Um, because I had no idea if people were really going to give a crap, you know, um, I thought they would, but I just didn't really know for sure. And, you know, I had to scrape together the money to to print them up and try and figure out what the hell I was doing. Um, but yeah, it's been, you know, it's been a pretty, pretty amazing ride, but, but I think it's, it's kind of those two things of, of me just appreciating books, uh, and, and especially hip hop books, because believe me back in, 1984 there were almost zero so um so what david toop did and stephen hager um with you know with hip-hop the illustrated guide um and and some of those early early books are were they'd always left a mark on me and 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 so i wanted to in in my way kind of put put my not my stamp but say kind of like if if i can do this i want to help contribute um if nothing else just to put these stories down in a way that's more permanent. And, and honestly, I'm, I mean, I'm glad because over time, some, nobody lives forever. And, and a lot of my, I'm 48 and I have friends who have passed away and certainly people who are older pass away as well. So some, I have talked to some people who have passed. Um, and it's just, I'm just glad that, that I was able to get their voices down. Totally. 100%. Great answer. Um, it's funny. Um, we talk, We try to split our guests here on the show between artists and kind of like cultural commentators or journalists, and journalists always remember the question and wind back to it. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to point that Appreciate out. Thank you. you for doing I that. I try. I yeah. try. No, well, it is awesome. always interesting turning the table, interviewing the interviewers. Yes. Totally. <laughs> Um, I guess I wanted to ask you, like, what do you listen to? Like, are you an omnivorous music listener? Do you have tons of records? Do you still listen to the classic hip hop? Like, what's your vibe? I listen to the weirdest range of shit you can imagine. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely uh, have a massive range. I mean, so so my thing is, I kind of, um, I came up as a punk kid more than a hip-hop kid okay. um and 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 so early like mid 80s i was listening to like a lot of hardcore i was going to shows and, and I, I lived in new jersey so i still listen to listen to hardcore all the time um i was just listening earlier today to boards of canada's second record and so the one thing i don't listen to as much is is new music um, um just because i don't know it's kind of you know, we're all here with, with the dad bods and, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard. I think we've all kind of experienced it. I mean, I do know people who try and succeed a lot better than I do at pretending that a lot of new music is that exciting. (laughs) I think, well, and I, I kind of envy that in a way because it's, it's fun. It's fun to be excited. Like when you read something and I'm like, oh, my God, like, this is going to be so great. And then you listen to it and you're like, uh, um, because it, it's interesting. So for me personally, I don't review anything anymore. Mm. Um, so I don't have to try and keep up with the newest, hippest stuff. So, sure. um, so yeah, so to answer the question, like, my natural um, inclination is to kind of go back and listen to stuff I've been listening to for a long time. I mean, I'll, I'll listen to stuff 
that comes through that I new stuff that that I'm impressed with, but it's it's kind of you know few and far between mm. these days, and I'm okay with that. Like I don't mind being the old guy who is still listening to you know old Public Enemy records and stuff like that. I still have tons of I don't know how many records I have ten thousand, so I still. Oh. Oh. Um, have a lot and you know in the car I listen to CDs mostly and I just you know have had CDs forever so um, yeah but but it's I don't try the one thing I definitely don't care about and haven't I I mean I've never even when I tried to be hip I was never hip so that's (laughs) never been a real concern or something I worry about because I always knew that it was a, a failing game for me so um so i just try and listen to what i consider to be real i mean the one thing i'll say kind of the the end of this this answer is i'm glad that a lot of the stuff i was listening to when i was 15 still sounds good to me like i don't Mm. i don't Mm. like wince when i look back at what i was listening (laughs) to when i was 15 i mean actually where is it my desk is a as you can possibly imagine is a a massive, you know, series of piles of stuff. But I have, I recently came across the, when I was like 15, 16, I used to write down um, all the shows I went to because mm. actually here it is. So I have <laughs> this and I found the list and I was like, holy shit. Um, so yeah, here's the, my list from 1985 <laughs> and 1986. Awesome, dude. You want to hear what are a couple we, of them? You are dying Heck to. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, June 1986, City Gardens in Trenton, New Jersey. Agnostic Front, Dirty Rotten Imbeciles, and GBH. Then, the week later, I went to Amnesty International (laughs) at Giant Stadium. Nice. Um, Then I saw The Cure. I was actually a huge Cure fan, which will totally destroy my hip-hop credibility <laughs> completely but that's everybody right. cries that's, it's all good man i have like i said i i don't have any need to be hip or, or trendy and then uh the weekend and this is still in the same summer of 86 uh the descendants volcano sons agent orange and squirrel bait um yeah, so so, but a You're lot a of that dedicated stuff. Dedicated concert goer, and it seems like you checked well, off it, a lot of the major punk bands. Yeah, I mean, I was really fortunate. Um, so this, I went to high school um, in between Princeton, New Jersey, and Trenton, um, and there was this really kind of infamous club called City Gardens in Trenton um, that was basically you know all ages, even though I don't, I don't think legally it could be all ages, but. Um, <laughs> they just had shows all the time. It was the stop in between New York and Philly. And a lot of bands would have these, you know, hellish tour schedules and they realized they could do three shows in three days in three different cities and, and do okay. And they would have like an hour, two hour drive in between them. So it was like this amazing respite, I think for a lot of these touring bands and they would all play city gardens. And so I got to see, you know, all of the greatest, bands of that of that era so it was it was pretty special you know but 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 at the same time they were booking once you got to 86 87 i mean schoolie d played there Mm. um public enemy on their first kind of outside of new york touring played there i remember the big selling point was that 
Uh, not that it was public enemy, but the Vernon Reed was playing guitar with them. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, oh, wow. You know, so, so it was, it was kind of cool. Like, I guess the thing with me is that I realized early on that, that punk and, and hip hop at that time had the same kind of energy. Yeah. Um, it was very yeah. different, but it had the same approach in a lot of ways. And the subculture, there were, there were more similarities than I think people really kind of realized at the time. Um, or, but, but, but also there were a lot of punk kids that I knew that were kind of going and, and kind of jumping back and forth in between both. Um, because red alert was on every weekend and I was listening and just, mm-hmm. just absorbing every single second of it all. Um, it was, it was a dope time, you know? So, so I'm glad that I still, that stuff still resonates with me just the same as it did back then. So at least. Like I don't, I don't have a lot of cringeworthy stuff. I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe. Maybe I have some, some hairstyles and fashion choices, but not, not do, music choices. I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty proud of of that. Well, well, speaking of uh, kind of your your upbringing, and before we close, I want to make sure we we get a chance to talk about your newest work, which is "By Me Boston." Yeah. Um, and just kind of making the connection here. You're definitely a hip hop historian, but this book is has a kind of a different focus, right? Yeah. So, I mean, there, there are certain similarities. So, the thing about um, Check the Technique Volume Two that that was very different and a and a, and a big step forward for me, something I'm proud of, is how many uh, images I included in there. So, mm-hmm. uh, the book is 500 something pages long, and I included, I think, about 350 images in there. Um, so I went out of my way. I took an extra month or two, actually, in the process of making Check the Technique Volume 2 to gather advertisements. Like, I would do scans of 12-inch labels, and uh, I would license some photos, whether it was like the Beat Nuts or Ice Cube and, or Jeanette Beckman stuff, like Sonic and... Um, so I was, like, actually proud of that, and I think that got me on this this kind of zone of diving deeper, not only into the stories, but into uh, the visuals that, that go into uh, all the stories. So um, sometimes some of the artists would give me stuff, like Pete Nice from Third Base was incredible and gave me some truly amazing photos because um, he took photos all the time back in that era. His Instagram um, is amazing. He posts I know. new stuff I mean, every day. It's incredible. No, Pete. Pete's amazing, and 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 uh, you know, so so I was kind of getting into that zone of kind of more getting into um, uh, be extra musical things. So whether it was an ad or um, whatever, a lyric sheet, et cetera. So so uh, this new book, Buy Me Boston, is basically what I what I kind of landed on is. I've done the hip hop thing and, and it's been great and maybe I'll go back to it. But I was kind of telling Dave earlier when I was talking to him on email, I was like, what, what I think I tend to, to do is look and be like, where's there a void? Like, where's mm-hmm. there somewhere that I can kind of take whatever skills or knowledge I have and, and try and apply them to, to kind of do this. And, and, and I feel like hip hop history is now in pretty good hands. Like a lot of mm-hmm. people are, are, uh, documenting it and, and there's so many great podcasts out there and people are doing these long form pieces, which they just weren't doing back in 2005 and, and before that. 
And in Boston, like there's not, there hasn't been really that much documentation of, of you know, just kind of the past, um, in, at least in the way that, that I thought I could, I could do. So the short, short answer is I had access to a couple different um, incredibly unique and in-depth archives here in Boston um, of newspapers, uh, photos, um, flyers, things like that. Um, not just music. Uh, so there's like, it's 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 all what I consider to be ads, which are ads in a newspaper, obviously, but also um, flyers. Um, if it's a program for an event, something like that. So anything except a, a photo or like an article. Hmm. Um, and it's a visual tour of Boston from the 60s through the end of the 80s. And um, yeah, it was it was kind of yet again, it was like another experiment. Uh, and there is hip hop stuff in there. Okay. Um, there's hip hop, there's R&B. There's also like crazy hair salon ads and restaurants. <laughs> and um, so it's good because a lot of the people like my age and older, it's it's almost like their family album. You know, like if you grew up in Boston in, in the 70s and 80s, you're just like, oh, my God, I remember because. The, the, the really what it is 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 and kind of you could tie it back to like some of the the oral history work I do with the hip hop stuff is it's kind of um, putting back together this this uh, a place that doesn't exist anymore you know mm -hmm. like a, an era that doesn't exist it only exists in people's minds and this is a more of a tangible way to remember it versus just telling stories. Um, but also the final thing is that with a lot of these ads, they have the address. So, um, there's an index in the book and it's, so it's kind of like, you know, where was, I don't, where was the rat or, you know, where was that, that club or that, that, whatever, that hair swan or that theater. I don't even know where that was. And it's like, all right, well, there it is. It's right. It was at 528 Commonwealth Avenue. So, um, so that's cool too, because you can kind of go back and visit those things or geotag and do all kinds of stuff like that. So, so it's kind it's, it's different. Um, the main difference is that it's just Boston. It's hyper local for mm -hmm. me. Um, so that it's people in the Bay or people in Chicago might not really care as much unless they just kind of like old ads. But, um, I wanted to also do like kind of a love letter to, to my town. Um, where I've lived now more than uh, longer than anywhere else in my life. And it, it's been cool. It's not even really officially out. I've sold a bunch of them already and I'm already in the second printing of it. Awesome. Congrats. Um, man. I'm just doing like, I'm just doing small batches cause I found this great local printer. Um, but you know, it's self published as I've uh, done for more than I have. I put out one, uh, one book on random house, but the rest have been self published. So, yeah, okay. so it's been fun. It's it's been um, putting me in in uh, connected to a bunch of really really fascinating people, and it really just gives me an excuse to hang out and listen to a bunch of really cool stories and um, and you know just do something different. And and I can just keep doing volumes of this <laughs> for a while. Um, I can. I literally. So this this book has 400 images in it, and. I have a file on my desktop right now that has 1,500 images wow. um, just for stuff of that same era. Because I just went on this scanning frenzy, and I uh, can't believe my scanner didn't blow up. But <laughs> I, I expect at some point it will crap the bed. But, yeah, so it's been fun. But, you know, I still 
I'll come out of retirement with hip hop stuff from time to time <laughs> when it when it's necessary. But it's kind of um, I'm not an elder statesman or anything, but I feel like um, a lot of times when I do uh, when I've done journalism in the past, it's been more like I feel um, that it's not being done uh, enough or in, at least in a way that I would want to read. And it's like I'm definitely not the best person to do this, but, you know, you know, F it. I'm just going to do it because <laughs> if no one else is going to, then at least it's done a little bit and then someone else can pick up the pieces later on and do a better job. Okay, perfect. Well, hey, Brian, just want to say uh, thank you again for your time. Um your work thank has been you your work has been immensely influential on my own, and so thank you for that. And uh, you know, uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. We're looking forward to checking out the Boston book, and um, talk to you soon. I appreciate it, guys. You do a great job, and uh, continued success. All right, Thanks. talk Thanks, to you man. soon. All right. Bye, Brian. Cool. Peace, guys. Peace, man. Big thanks to Brian Coleman, Paul Thompson, Dave, Damone, this is Nate, this is the outro. The beats you heard in the middle were from Sun Ra, really appreciate him sending those in. Kayak beat tape coming soon, if Twitter is to be believed. This outro beat is from Books One, thank you Books One. He's a local cat who has worked with Damone in the past. Uh, really appreciate you sending in this beat. And we just want to thank everyone for listening as always. Got some cool stuff coming up. Um, hope you're enjoying the show. If you like the show, go on your phone, open your podcast app, subscribe, rate, leave a review. That was, you know, that's how you can help us out. So um, thanks again. We will see you guys next week, Thursday, noon Pacific time with another episode. Peace.